Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Malaysia today unveiled a smaller budget for 2023, prioritizing fiscal discipline over expectations of populist measures. This as it warned of a slowdown in the economy from rising global risks. Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob's administration had been expected to table a moderately expansionary budget in a bid to boost voter support. This was after speculation that national polls will be held this year, earlier than a September 2023 deadline. But the budget for 2023 focuses on efforts to strengthen recovery and economic resilience as well as implementing reforms. It is themed Kaluarga Malaysia Makmur Bersama and will zero in on four areas, people, business, economy and government. Joining us now is Dr. Serena Rahman. She's lecturer at the Department of Southeast Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. Hi, Serena. Thanks for joining us. Hi, good evening. So, what are you making of what's been announced today, Serena? There's still a lot of nice low-hanging fruit for the people. So, even though they say that it is a more moderate budget, I think they've managed to still offer interesting things for the voters, perhaps cut down on other larger amounts. And so, it still comes across as appealing for the electorate, I think. When you say interesting things for the voters, what do you consider interesting, Serena? Well, as usual, you know, they have the aid for the mothers, the elderly... This year, we noticed that there's a lot of aid for those aged between 18 to 20 because we now have the youth voters coming in for the first time in this national election. So, you know, there's a lot of aid offered for them to go to school, tertiary areas, opportunities to get jobs because employment was one of the issues that these younger voters were complaining about. So they've come up with lots of money allocated to help them get licenses, to help them start businesses. Entrepreneurship seems to be a huge thing in this budget. So you can see that they're trying to, one, demonstrate that they are supporting local economies by helping people get jobs or get certified to be able to get jobs. They're also providing cash aid, which is something that the citizens do kind of look out for. And they're trying to pull in the support of small farmers and the fishermen they mentioned, but no specific mention of the aid to that. So they are, you know, banking on the usual electorate to support them through this financial offerings. Mm. The thing is, some analysts were expecting even more in terms of sweeteners and in efforts to boost voter support. What do you think? I think they they would like to if they could, because that seems to be their formula of um, bringing the electorate together. But I think the country is so in debt and, you know, the economy is not as strong as it was pre-COVID. And then with all of the global issues and a global recession possible, I think they have come to realize that there's a limit to how much they can offer. Otherwise, you know, the Malaysian economy will struggle. So they have, I suppose, tried to find a middle line where they can promote the low-hanging fruit, the immediate cash handout, some of the aid, you know, when it's announced, pitch to meet the demands that have come across in surveys to say, oh, this is what people are not happy about. So they're they're actually responding to that by giving out these cash, may I say, bait. And then that is to make sure that the people are aware that they are a listening government 
and they're, they're trying to help the community by providing them with this money, even as they are trying to balance the budget. Mm. The thing is, the budget deficit has been quite worrying. How can the government ensure that revenues reduce the budget deficit? I mean, some analysts are saying that they are counting on the post-COVID economic recovery and reopening. But is that sufficient or would taxes need to be revised upwards perhaps next year in order to fill the hole? So they have actually to attract the middle 40 you know, population who have always said that there's always a lot of aid for the B40, but nothing much for them. So what they've done is they've actually waived the tax from the middle 40, but they did not necessarily mention that the taxes for the T20 would be increased. There was no mention of company tax going up, but they did say that there will be tax rebates for tourism industries, for example. So, you know, tourism industry participants. So that means there will be some places where individuals would not have to pay tax, but how then they would gather enough revenue to cover all of these subsidies and sweeteners that they have already put out is the big question. And that has always been the question. Mm. They maintain that they will continue to subsidize necessities. And the question has always been where they're getting this money from. Yeah. They predict that 2023 growth will be 4 to 5%. And they revised the 2022 growth projections for the rest of the year to 65 to 7%. But still, they insist that the fiscal deficit will go down to 5.5% compared to this year. So it sounds like the numbers don't add up, right? Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, I'm not very good at math, so I can't really be the judge of that. Sure. They expect revenue to be $272.6 billion, according to Reuters and the announcement. just So that really doesn't cover the amount of money that is going out, if you see their total but I guess they have some savings somewhere that they're going to bank on. But what they did show just now is that for some of these aid announcements, they've said that, okay, the total amount, for example, is $100 million, but only $750 million will come from the government and the GLCs have to top up $250 million. So they're looking at, I suppose, joint support of these initiatives. And they have mentioned some other collaborations with banks and other GLCs and specific companies that are going to help to support some of these initiatives. So I think they are looking at, well, somewhat private-public partnership to get these through. And I guess that demonstrates that they are aware of their fiscal limitations. Right. And we are talking here about targeted subsidies, we should stress, no longer the blanket subsidies. No, it is targeted. So they are specifically responding to the disgruntlement that has come up. So they're looking at tourism, transport issues, which you know was a big thing over COVID. They're looking at boosting the tourism economy because they know that you know it needs to be revived post-COVID. They're looking at women, the elderly. They're looking at childcare. They put, a, I think, the largest amount under education. So the education ministry has a huge budget, and that is to improve schools, to provide food assistance in the schools so that poor children going to school have food. They've increased the aid for starting school for all levels of families. And so it is actually calculated by, by child. So if you have, so it's 150 ringgit per child to start school, say in primary one. And if you have three children, then, you know, you get three times the aid for the start of the school year. And they say it will start in January. And then they have other things like, you know, aid for Tasca and Tarika. So this is like preschool, mm. kindergartens for childcare. Yeah, so very targeted. So they know exactly where people have been complaining that mm. they need help on. And so they're responding to that. That's very clear. Anything Not, that they might have neglected that you have observed? Uh, there was 
such a torrent of aid and numbers that I wasn't able mm. to process anything that might be missing. I only noticed when they mentioned the aid for farmers and fishermen, they listed all the specific aid for farmers but not fishermen. So there was no actually specific information and I only noticed that because my research is with fishermen. But I don't know about if there was other larger issues, you know, tax increase for higher earners they did not mention. Mm. You know, there was a lot of skills development. They've increased the funding for the JKM, this is like the welfare ministry. They specifically mentioned cancer aid. Uh, one that was of interest was they've created a gender focal team and they've actually put money into um, developing centers and programs for against sexual harassment and to support domestic violence. So this is a new development. Dr. Serena, you mentioned your research is on fishermen. And I think that the rural communities in Malaysia are very, very crucial, right? I mean, they have been over the years and many politicians make great efforts to woo them as well. What would you say are the needs in those areas And of course, this includes the people living there, the fishermen. Uh, And what really does the government need to do in order to take care of their interests as we move forward? I think for people in the in the out, their biggest concerns are bread and butter issues. You know, so so things like the aid to start school that will help them, food aid in school that will help them. They're also giving out cash aid as usual to women, the elderly, single mothers, that sort of thing will help. The question with all of these announcements is how the money then gets to the people, right? Mm -hmm. Because usually money is dispersed either through LHDN, which is the tax agency, or SOXO, which is PAKESO, which is like the employee insurance agency. Mm. So a lot of these rural residents are not members of these institutions. They don't have a tax number. They not they don't get EPF, which is like Singapore's CPF. So they then don't have automatic access to this aid. Their aid, therefore, comes through. They have to actually apply for it, fill out a form, get a village head to sign it off. They have to figure out where to go, which agency to ask for. And this has always been the biggest obstacle. So in some areas, there are very helpful village heads who will support their community or you know, local representatives who will make sure that the people in that village get the aid that they deserve. Um, in other communities, it is harder because some of these village heads are appointed and they're not necessarily people even from the village and they're not very cooperative. So sometimes villagers who are faced in this kind of situation do not get the administrative support, do not know how to get access to these aid. Mm. And so they don't get it. And then you have for associations for farmers and fishermen, you know, there's a lot of fishermen and farmers who are not actually registered with an association. They're not, they're not members or they are at odds with the reigning association that rules that area. And so they then get cut off from aid. So yes, the government announces a lot of these things, but how it then trickles down to the people is a whole other question. Yeah, certainly then, lots more needs to be done, I think, in terms of streamlining processes and ensuring accessibility as well. So, Dr. Serena, here's the thing. A lot of analysts are saying that it's still possible that Parliament will be dissolved soon and there will be an election. What are your thoughts on this? 
yeah, entirely possible because they're trying to push for it, right? And yeah. so that then brings up the question of why do this budget if <laughs> if Parliament's going to be dissolved and then you have yeah. to re-present it after that. Mm. But of course, they will insist on, on presenting the budget so that people will think that, you know, if we vote for these guys, then this budget will come through and then we'll all benefit. Mm-hmm. And that's why they call it an election budget. So, I mean, these are all political machinations. There are many reasons why... They want to hasten the elections that, you know, people are aware of, even though it is flood season. So as we are speaking now, they are currently revealing the response budget to floods and all of this, which is ironic. But yeah, so it is highly possible that Parliament will be dissolved for the elections because everybody's expecting it and because a part of the political elite want it. But at this point, I think it lies with the Agong to decide whether to support it or not Mm. when they bring it up to him. And then, you know, the regular people just can only wait and see. Yeah. And speaking of wait and see, I mean, obviously, whenever our neighbour passes a budget or announces a budget, it will have ripple effects on Singapore. What exactly are you assessing in terms of ripple effects considering the structure of the budget? No, I think if conditions, let's put it this way, there are almost a million Malaysians working in Singapore and they cross the border every day, many of them or they stay in Singapore for a week and they come back on the weekend. So, you know, if conditions improve in Malaysia and the economy improves and there is employment opportunities, then a lot of these people might decide it would be worth having more time with family than, and working in Malaysia than going across to Singapore, notwithstanding the difference in exchange rate. What has not been mentioned yet is how the government intends to improve the value of the ringgit. Like, is that possible? No discussion of that. Mm. So, you know, that would be a determining factor. So these budget issues would help the local conditions if they are able to boost the economy and, you know, create business and provide employment. Then perhaps some of the newer workers who are going to Singapore to get work, maybe they'll decide to stay here because I think a lot of the younger, newer People who are now going to Singapore to get work post-COVID are a bit surprised by what it takes, you know, the early hours, the long jams. So maybe they will give up. And only the hardcore ones who have been working in Singapore for decades will stay on. So in that sense, then maybe the ripple effect on Singapore will be less Malaysian workers. Mm. You know, and of course, Singaporeans are always complaining about the noisy motorbikes and all of this. So maybe a bit less of that. But, you know, the economies are intertwined. So if Malaysia succeeds, somehow Singapore will have an effect. If things get better in Malaysia and the cost of everything goes up, maybe it will be less worthwhile for Singaporeans to come across to buy goods and enjoy services. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Serena Rahman, lecturer at the Department of Southeast Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. Thanks for joining us. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.